and he returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came uh, to the Samaritan village of Sychar, uh, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And now Jacob's well was there. Uh, And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please, give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift that God has for you, who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, (laughs) you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. This well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoy? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir. Give me this water. Then I won't have to, I won't be thirsty and and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus said. I, I I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, right, you don't have a husband. Well, you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you, you must be a prophet. So, so tell me, uh, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? Well, we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman. The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him for salvation, it comes through the Jews. But the time is coming indeed. It is here now when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I I know the Messiah who is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. And we're going to stop our reading Right there, right in the middle of the story this week. So after Solomon, 
Um, we're going back a little bit in history here to the Old Testament. So we've got uh, King Saul as the first king. He turns out to be not so good a king because he, he cares less about God, more about his reputation. And then you have King David, who, who is a good king because he loves God. He honors God. He makes some incredibly bad mistakes, but he keeps turning back to God. He seeks God's forgiveness. He's, he's a man after God's own. He's a friend of God. Um, uh, you got David and then you got David's son, uh, Solomon. Uh, Solomon has, does some amazing things. He has a little bit of a problem that he marries a whole bunch of, of many, 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 many wives and concubines and starts building them places of worship to worship their gods and things go downhill and he, he works the people of Israel hard. His son, Rehoboam, becomes king after King Solomon and King Rehoboam, the people come to him and say, oh, King Rehoboam, would you not just make our life just a little bit easier and we'll serve you forever? And Rehoboam listens. He goes to his old advisors, the advisors to his dad, I think, and they say, you know, give these guys a break. Just make life a bit easier. And he goes to his, his young friends and he says, what do I do? And they say, come on, you're the king. And so he goes back to the people and he says, yeah, you thought life was hard under dad. Well, guess what? It's going to be even worse under me. And for some strange reason, a whole bunch of the nation of Israel decided they didn't want Rehoboam to be king. And they made uh, Jeroboam king instead. And, and the kingdom of Israel split in two. So you had the kingdom of Judah in the south. That's, that's Judah and, and, and Benjamin. And then you got the kingdom of, of Israel in the north. That's the other 10 tribes of Israel. Uh, things don't go well. The northern tribe, they, they don't worship God. Uh, they, they, they kind of worship a, a, a fake version, a false version of God. And 722 BC, the Assyrians come in and they conquer the northern kingdom. And they, uh, and they take them into exile and they redistribute the people of, of those northern kingdom into their other places that they conquered and they bring people in and, and the place becomes a mishmash of one or two leftover people maybe from the northern kingdom, but mostly non-Jewish people living there now. And you have, you have all sorts of people and you've got the paganism of the northern kingdom mixed with the paganism of the other religions that have been brought in and they're sort of Jewish, but not really. And time goes on and eventually the southern kingdom falls and goes into exile and then it's brought back. And oh, it's messy. By the time we get to the New Testament, you've still got this, this bunch of people, uh, the remnants of that history. And they're, they're the Samaritans. And, and so they, 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 by this stage, they're kind of Jewish-ish. They're kind of Jewish-ish by the time of the return of the southern kingdom. but but they're not really, by this stage here in the New Testament, they are, they believe in one God. But when they looked at their holy scriptures, they, they only accepted the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The reason they, they left out most of the, well, all of the rest is because there's a pretty big emphasis in the rest of it in, on Jerusalem and on the king in David's line. And well, they, don't like the king from David's line. They don't like Jerusalem. They're a different place. And so they rejected all of that stuff. And there's this tension between this group of Samaritans and the, and the people, the Jewish people. I mean, that's why Jesus' story about the good Samaritan is so, is so jaw-droppingly stunning that Jesus would make the Samaritan the good bloke. Because Samaritans are the baddies. Uh, 
there's a, there's a bit of recent history, well, you know, recent couple of hundred years maybe, where the Samaritans had come through and put human bones in the Jerusalem temple. And, and then a little while later, the Jews had gone and destroyed the Samaritan temple. These people do not like each other. And, and there's this tension is partly race. It's partly religion. It's just, it's messy. It's horrible. It is not nice. Now, if you think about uh, Judea, you've got the bit in Galilee up the top and you've got Judea down there. And Jesus, we find here in, in John chapter 4, is going from Judea in the south up to Galilee. Now, he could have gone a different route. He, he could have gone through a way that avoids going through Samaria. But Jesus, we're told, had to go through Samaria. And it's a long journey. They've probably been walking uh, at least a couple of days or at least a day and a half here. And, and Jesus is tired, and so he sits down, and his disciples go shopping. And it's here that we meet the woman at the well. She's not coming to meet Jesus. She's coming because she needed water. She's coming because she had to go to the well. Getting water in the middle of the day is not something unknown. I mean, if you need water, you need water, but it's not the normal, sensible thing to do because, you know, if you're going to get water, the right time to get it is in the morning or maybe the evening, but more likely the morning where it's nice and cool and where you're not walking home in the dark. Maybe, maybe she just slept in that day. <laughs> maybe, but I get the impression from what we've read that she'd much rather not fetch water. Maybe she chose this time because, because it's when nobody else would be there at the well. But as she walks up to the well, she sees this man sitting there. And I don't know, does she hesitate just a minute? Does she, does she pause and go, ah, oh, I thought it would be empty by now. If she does, she moves on. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just you know, I've come this far. Whatever the reason, she walks up. And, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of men wouldn't speak to, to, a, to a woman. In fact, uh, there, are, there are some uh, sayings out there that suggest, you know, you just don't speak to a woman because, you know, gossips will talk because you've heard or you've spoken to a woman. That was the age. And then he speaks to her. And she probably hears from his accent, that he's not a local, that he's a Jew. And she says, you're a Jew, and you're asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink. Imagine today, I think maybe if we can bring it to today's language, imagine a Jew sitting in Palestine, politely asking a Palestinian for a drink. All that political tension, all that historical tension there you are asking me for a drink but you know one of the things which i love about jesus is that he doesn't play by our social rules he doesn't play by our political rules his kingdom isn't from this world but it claims all peoples and all nations in Jesus, we become one family. There is neither male nor female, 
Jew, nor Greek, nor Samaritan, nor Aussie, nor any of that stuff. We are one in Christ. Jesus actually wanted a drink. He was thirsty, but, but there was only one person at the well that day who was parched. And even if she couldn't see it for herself, Jesus could look at this woman and know that she was running on empty. She was surprised that, that this Jewish man would speak to her, but if she only knew who he What does Jesus say to her? He says to her, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. She's labeled him Jewish, other outsider, someone to be avoided. That's what we do when we label someone. We put them in a box. We, we set them apart from us. We, we put a distance between them and us. But so often our labels are based on assumptions rather than fact. And that, that's the case here as well. She assumes she knows all that there is to know about this man. He's a Jew. Why would a Jew be speaking to her? Yes, he's Jewish, but, but she had no idea of God's gift, of God's offer of salvation, of, of changing her life, of giving her new life. She had no notion of God's promises and plan to bless all the world through the descendant of King David. Her knowledge as a Samaritan would have stopped other than, oh, it's what those Jews believe, maybe, but probably not. Her knowledge would have stopped short at Moses. And, and Jesus looks at her and says, if you only knew. The irony so far is that, is that the other people that we've met in John so far, they should have known, but they are just as blind as this woman. She's coming to get water and Jesus offers her living water. Now, living water is, is one of those phrases which usually means flowing water, uh, running water. And, and in this region of uh, Shechem, which is, which is where we are, uh, Sikar near Mount Shechem, um, there is no running water. As far as she is concerned, this well in the middle of the day is the best that she can hope for. He has no rope. He has no bucket. Who does he think he is to offer her water? Jacob, the great ancestor, he found this well. He found this good water. You're better than Jacob. Are you better than our ancestor? You can, you can almost hear her voice dripping with sarcasm like, come on, mate. Don't waste my time. Be greater than Jacob. Only... And Jesus, gently, he, he tells her, the water I'm talking about will quench your thirst. More it will become a spring within you, bubbling up into eternal life. Looking back, we can, we can say, well, Jesus isn't talking about water. He's talking about the spirit. But, but this woman doesn't have our hindsight. She doesn't know the gift of God. All she knows is her own situation, her own needs, her own struggles. 
we are so often blinded by those things, by the difficulties that are right in front of our face, our hurts, our hang-ups, the needs of our lives that just take up all of our vision. I mean, look at what Jesus says. He offers her living water that will well up, bubble up to eternal life. And she doesn't hear those words, eternal life. She hears, you won't be thirsty anymore. And she runs that through the filters of her life, of her experience. And she hears it, it seems to me, as you won't have to make this trip anymore. You won't have to come to this well anymore. No more midday journeys for you. No more anytime journeys for you to this well. And here's an answer. Maybe, as we'll see, no more choosing the heat of the sun over the heat of her peers. If it wasn't for her thirst, this woman could just stay. You only knew. Says, give me this water. I won't have to come here to get water. And Jesus replies, go and get your husband. Why does Jesus ask her to fetch her husband? It's not a proprietary thing, because proprietary, that's wrong, a propriety thing, because he's been talking to her all this time. Husband didn't have to be there. In fact, Jesus knew the situation all along with her husband. Why does Jesus ask her to fetch the husband? Maybe because she needed to see that Jesus saw beneath the charade. Why was she coming to the well at midday? Maybe because she was ashamed. Maybe because when she went there in the mornings, there would be talk. This is a woman who has had five husbands and is currently cohabiting with someone who is not her husband. And that either means he's not married, but I mean that he's somebody else's husband. Can you imagine the talk around the well? The looks of the other women that they would give this lady? Maybe the whispers of, watch out for your husband's girls. She's on the prowl for number seven. She tells Jesus she doesn't have a husband, and that's true. She wanted the water, and would he give it to her if he knew the sort of a person she was? Safer to stay hidden. But Jesus, Jesus knew. He knew all about the five husbands that she had had. He knew about her current affair. And you and I, we don't know this woman's story. We don't know 
if there is pain and hurt in her background. Um, I suspect there was. I mean, what, what led this woman to be unable to sustain a relationship? To go from man to man. She would have had that reputation of, of the seductress of the town. And I, but I think that would be an unfair label for her because she strikes me as someone who just wishes her life was different. She was hiding. She just, uh, what is she going to do? How is she going to survive? Maybe she feels cast off five times. Maybe, maybe this last affair that she's having is her only hope of surviving. I don't know her story. We don't know her story. John doesn't tell us her story, but we do see I do see here someone who is trying to hide, who's not willing to give a straight answer, who's ashamed. And I think, I think we, we should be aware that we can see this woman in the faces of the people that we meet every day. Trying to hide from our shame, trying to pretend that we're fine, that we're good, that it's all okay and there's nothing wrong. And hey, life's perfect, isn't it? Quite often we don't want to come into the light, like John said in chapter 3, like, uh, because we don't want the evil that was within us come into the light. We don't want the sinful things that we have done to come into the light. We, we're ashamed. And so we, we try and hide our secrets and our shame. Sometimes we hide it even from ourselves. Because what if people knew? If only she knew who she was speaking to. She doesn't know who this man is. She just sees him as someone else. He's a stranger and she's ashamed to let on the truth about who she is. Do you know what I don't hear in Jesus's voice? I don't hear judgment. Jesus knew all about this woman all along. And the very second words he said after, can I have a drink? The very next thing he says is, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. If you knew, you'd ask and I would give. That's not Jesus standing there going, oh, you horrible woman. You should be ashamed. You disgust me. You're horrible. Ah! That's Jesus saying, if you knew, I would bless you. I would give you what you desperately need. I would give you living water. Only she knew. But Jesus knew about her and and she knew that Jesus knew. And she replied, she said, oh, you must, you must be a prophet. I mean, how does he know this stuff about her? What do we do when somebody puts their finger on a sensitive part of our lives? What, what do we do when, when someone gets behind our defenses? And one of my favorite lines that I've shared with you quite often, I think, is uh, from Adrian Plass. He says, uh, gladly I confess my sin for God has poured his grace in. But when another points them out, I want to punch his face in. And that's what we do when somebody puts their finger on, on our shame, on our guilt, on our, on our secrets, on the things which make us want to hide. 
quite often our defense is to go on the attack. Some people just retreat, some people attack, but but this kind of attack, it's it's kind of it's it's not a full frontal. Yeah, well, it's it's more of a let's just redirect attention, let's let's move the focus away from me onto something that we can fight about so that we can fight about that and not about me. That's what this woman does. You're a prophet, but you're out to destroy our way of life. This whole, you know, where to worship thing was, was a big deal. As I spoke to you, we, we had the Samaritans defiling the Jewish temple and the Jews defiling, destroying the Samaritan temple. It's this big political fight. You know what? You're getting, you're getting a little bit close to the truth. Let's just go back to the big fight between our peoples and we'll fight about that. When Jesus starts getting our attention, we so often do the same thing. I see it in myself when uh, quite often when, when, when I realize that I've done something wrong or when I'm in the wrong, I focus on somebody else who's done something wrong or I focus on something else that I can get upset about. Almost as if to try and distract away from the real issue. We see this when we talk to people about Jesus as well. You know, maybe God starts getting someone's attention and then, oh, well, what about slavery? Or what about the Old Testament battles? Or, you know, what, uh, what, what about gay marriage? What about the Crusades? Uh, what about this? What about, we just try and deflect attention to some big fight so that we don't have to deal with the fact that our secret and our shame and our guilt has been revealed because, you know what, Let, let's not talk about lean, let's mean, let's talk about the big stuff. And Jesus doesn't shut her question down. He, he answers it. He, he points out how all these old battle lines don't show the heart of God between, you know, where we're going to worship, which mountain. He says, no, no, the time is coming when we will worship God in spirit and truth. But this woman just, you know, let's shut this thing down. And she says there right at the end, and, and man, this is, this is, this is a phrase designed to shut things down. She says, um, uh, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Basically, yeah, okay. Let's leave it for the experts, shall we, mate? And Jesus turns around. <laughs> she has taken a false step into the truth. As Jesus turns and says, I am. The conversation started with, if only you knew. And through all of her hiding and all of her prevaricating, Jesus was leading her to know. And now she does. And the question is, what is she going to do with it? We're going to see next week, um, I think, a little bit of what she does and what happens next. But only we knew. I think that's the phrase that sticks out for me from today. Only we knew. God takes us on that journey of realizing who he is. We have to then decide what are we going to do with that. If only we knew the gift of God. If only we knew who Jesus is. 
If only we knew that he knows all of our guilt and our shame and our past and our failure. If only we knew it, not just in our heads, but in our hearts. If only we knew that he knows that, still gave himself for us. If only we knew that he still offers living water, his own spirit, life. If only we knew we would come and drink and drink, 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 maybe drink for the first time, accepting that God is the one who knows, who saves. Maybe, maybe coming as someone who has forgotten that his life is in us, that he is at work in us, that he will never abandon us. Maybe coming back to him and saying, Jesus, I have, I have abandoned you, the fountain of living waters, and I've dug for myself cisterns that cannot hold water, that are leaky. If only we knew, if only our family knew, if only our friends knew. May he give us the words to lead them on the same sort of journey. May we, like Jesus, when people come to us, may we not be people who meet them with judgment. May we not reinforce their their desire to hide away in shame, but may we be people like Jesus who come from a position of God wants to bless you. If only, only. Lord, sometimes, sometimes we need, sometimes, Lord, we forget. You know everything about us. Sometimes, Lord, we find ourselves in this woman, hiding away our guilt and our shame, maybe from ourselves, from each other. You, Jesus, you know. It doesn't change the way you feel about us. Lord, if only our families knew. only our friends. Jesus, so often we are, we hide ourselves away and then we make others think that you would want nothing to do by our attitude. Lord, we want to be holy and we want this world to be filled with your holiness. We want right, but Lord, may we know and may the world know through our actions that you know, that you know the worst. Still, give us living. You would still face death yourself, for me and for us. and for you. Mind us, Jesus. Mind us, Jesus. Use us so that 